Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Findlay Mayor Christina Mern discusses last week's adjustment of the Blanchard River flood threshold by the National Weather Service and the city's consideration of a downtown Dora. Plus, part of the federal pandemic response is a forbearance on student loans, welcome relief, but it does nothing to address a much larger problem that was a reality long before and will be still long after all of this is over. In our Everyday Agriculture segment this morning, food prices took some wild swings in 2020. Will 2021 bring more stability to Americans' grocery bills? And with Valentine's Day right around the corner, who better to give advice on how to impress that special someone than a former bachelor and bachelorette contestant? This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, February 9th, 2021. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast is calling for mostly cloudy skies today and some snow possible, a high of 23. Mostly cloudy tonight, a low of 10. Another age group is eligible for the COVID vaccine this week under the state's Phase 1B plan. Those 65 and over can start to make their appointments to get their doses. Currently, more than 1 million Ohioans have received their first dose of the vaccine. That's about 8.6% of the state's population. The Super Bowl began with a -a one-of-a-kind flyover during the national anthem, and one of the pilots is an Ohio native who's getting a lot of praise in the Buckeye State and around the nation. The University of Dayton tweeted a photo of Captain Sarah Kashubu saying she graduated from the school's Air Force ROTC program back in 2012. She was piloting one of three Global Strike Command bombers that zipped over Raymond James Stadium during the national anthem, performing a first-of-its-kind flyover. ONN's Angela Ann reporting that Kashuba has flown more than 90 combat missions and has more than 1,700 flying hours. Get more on our website. Speaking of the Air Force, some Findlay High School students participated in the first ever live streaming tour of the National Museum of the U.S. Air Force at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base near Dayton. It was pretty groundbreaking for both of us because they have not done this before, and we're just very proud and be honored honored to be an opportunity for that. That's science teacher Mark Shively. Get more details on this neat opportunity for the students on our website. Dog owners in Hancock County have more time to get their 2021 dog licenses. The uh, county commissioners and the county auditor uh, came out and they extended the dog license uh, registration sales until July 1st due to the COVID. Hancock County Dog Warden Dana Berger says dog owners now have until July 1st to purchase their dog licenses without incurring a late fee. Licenses can be purchased online through the auditor's office or by appointment at the Humane Society. Get more details on our website. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Today is Chocolate Day. Which, again, just days before Valentine's Day, you can see the connection here. It is Extraterrestrial Culture Day. (laughs) Whatever that is. Celebrate the culture of the extraterrestrials today. Uh, National Cut the Cord Day. Safer Internet Day. Although, if you cut the cord, it's probably not a big deal, you know, you're not all that concerned with how safe the internet. Well, I suppose you are. What was the uh, story in the in the news this morning about the uh, city in was it California? Somebody hacked into the water system and uh, tried to poison the water. Fortunately, somebody was paying attention and fixed the problem before it 
became became a problem, but that could have been a big story. Safer Internet Day today. National Develop Alternative Vices Day. <laughs> Develop alternative vices. You know, just get rid of all of your regular vices and develop some alternatives. National Toothache Day, National Read in the Bathtub Day. Wait a minute, National Toothache Day? Do we really need a day to celebrate toothaches? I I don't think so, but we have one. Read in the Bathtub Day and National Pizza Day today. National Pizza Day. So, now I'm hungry. We got Chocolate Day and National Pizza Day all at the same same time. And have a dessert pizza and you will be all set. So uh, anyway, some of the reasons to celebrate today, if you need a reason. This is uh, one of the big stories on the Newswire. This is going to really cause some buzz on social media. Facebook making its most divisive, it says most decisive and divisive move yet. To combat vaccine misinformation, saying in a blog post yesterday that they are banning anti-vaccine content and that the ban applies to misinformation for all vaccines, not just for COVID-19. So you anti-vaxxers out there, you're going to have to find another platform to discuss your aversion to vaccines because... It is no longer allowed on Facebook. In addition to that, Facebook will be encouraging Americans to get a COVID vaccine, including directing them to information about when they are eligible to get it and how to find places that have doses available. Facebook said its effort is being developed in consultation with health authorities like the World Health Organization. Recode notes, however, that having a policy and being able to enforce it are different things. And misinformation about COVID-19 vaccines has appeared on Facebook despite earlier rules barring misinformation specifically about that vaccine. And they were able to get tons of views before taken down. Here's the problem. There's so much content. There's more than a billion users on Facebook, I think, is the latest number. It's like a billion users or something uh, along those lines. And there are only so many people who are monitoring these things. So much of it is done automatically, which is why sometimes things are taken down that shouldn't be, because so much of it is done by algorithms and by uh, computer itself, because there just aren't enough people to monitor everything that is posted on Facebook. And whenever you have such a tremendous amount of content being generated, it is impossible in real time to catch all of the stuff that shouldn't be up there or that you decide you don't want posted on your platform. So uh, Facebook has got an uphill battle uh, largely because they're so successful, which is a good problem to have, I suppose. But when you send down an edict from above that you can't post this, that, or the other thing on your platform, it's going to be very difficult to monitor them. Experts have for years, even before the pandemic, warned about Facebook's role in promoting anti-vaccine conspiracy theories, and some critics say that Facebook's move took far too long to happen. But again, uh, aside from, you know, all of that aside, it's going to be incredibly hard to uh, police. But that's 
of the big. And people are going to go nuts uh, over this. You know that people are going to be upset. We'll see how that goes. Um, this is kind of interesting. Of course, uh, the Robin Hood stock trading app has been very much in the news over the past couple of weeks with the run-up of GameStop stock and then the subsequent collapse and people uh, who invested heavily in that run-up uh, have in some cases lost big money. It's not the first time that Robinhood has come under scrutiny for its ability to allow inexperienced traders to jump into the market with some pretty complex trading strategies that maybe they're not ready for. The family of an inexperienced 20-year-old trader who committed suicide last summer after mistakenly believing he had lost more than $700,000 are now suing Robinhood, claiming that the app's business practices led directly to Alex Kern's death. The suit charges that Robinhood uses aggressive tactics and strategy to lure inexperienced and unsophisticated investors to take big risks with the lure of tantalizing profits, profits that almost never actually materialize. Um, and they also claim that the uh, app gives little or no investment guidance to users. Uh, Mr. Kearns, 20-year-old University of Nebraska student, got emails from Robinhood back on June 11th of last year telling him his account was restricted and he was required to buy $700,000 in shares as a result of an options trade, cover his options. The lawsuit says his account was left with a negative balance of $730,000 $730, on a trade he had understood would be limited to a maximum loss of less than $10,000, which is no small amount in and of itself. But uh, Mr. Kern sent several emails to customer support trying desperately to get information but only got auto-generated replies. Hours later, he got an email from Robinhood saying he needed to deposit more than $178,000 within seven days, still unable to reach anyone at the company, a highly distressed, uh, uh, being highly distressed, Mr. Kearns committed suicide. In reality, according to the lawsuit, the emails were misleading, and Mr. Kearns actually did have options in his account that more than covered what he owed. So it turns out he was not in trouble at all. He just thought he was and couldn't get a clarification from anyone at the company. Robin Hood said yesterday it has since made improvements to its flat platform, including providing more information on options trading, having financial and experience requirements for new customers seeking to trade options, and live voice support for customers in options cases. Critics have charged Robinhood could be enabling inexperienced investors to trade uh, in, in the types of investments that are too risky too often by making trading so cheap and easy as it has been trying to bring more regular people into investing. So it is a really complicated question. You want to bring more people into the market, uh, which ostensibly you do want to do, make it possible for everyone to get in and everyone to share the wealth but at the same time some of these complicated uh, options trading and some of these some of these uh, complicated vehicles are best left to the professionals it'll be interesting to see where this lawsuit goes what happens 
to Robinhood if they can survive. Uh, this is a, a huge lawsuit. And, uh, of course, they're also under scrutiny for what happened with GameStop. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Robinhood moving forward if the platform even survives. And if it does, what it looks like in the future could be, could be very different than that. Anyway, very uh, interesting story there. Um, this was, uh, this is the big, the big, one of the big stories of the Super Bowl. There was the game, there were the commercials, there was the halftime show, and then there was the guy who ran out into the field, uh, during the fourth quarter, um, and provided some excitement to what by that time was a very dull contest. Uh, his name, we know who he is, Yuri Andrade, age 31, uh, streaked out into the field wearing a pink leotard and was event eventually tackled by security at about the three-yard line. He was escorted out of the stadium. You'd think there were... Uh, Tampa TV station WFLA reports that Mr. Andrade was uh, planted at the game by social media personality Vitaly Zdrodrovsky or something like that. Uh, that's the guy who runs... A, an adult website called Vitali Uncensored, which is what was written on the front of his uh, pink outfit. So TV cameras did not show it. Uh, the, uh, they cut away, went to a commercial break while the whole melee was taken care of. Um, but there is video of the incident online if you want to see what you missed. So that anyway, we know who he is. And yes, he is uh, being charged. You would think with... <laughs> So few people in the stands, <laughs> and a limited number of people in the stands, and this guy got in. But anyway, there you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. You can help recognize outstanding teachers in Findlay and Hancock County. Nominate a current teacher who made a difference in your life for the Findlay Rotary Club's Golden Apple Awards. Place your nomination online at finleyrotary.org. Nomination deadline is April 2nd. Please promote the work, dedication, and achievements of all teachers by nominating an excellent teacher for the Golden Apple Awards. This message provided by WFIN. Finley Mayor Christina Mern is with us in the studio this morning. Good morning. <laughs> Thanks very morning, much for uh, being with us. A lot that we want to uh, jump into uh, here. want to begin uh, talking about the uh, big news uh, last week. The National Weather Service uh, adjusted the flood threshold for the Blanchard River in Findlay by about 12 to 18 inches, depending on the, the, the flood stage. Um, that is a big deal. I mean, a, a foot to a foot and a half yeah. uh, adjustment. Talk about how... Uh, this happened. So the National Weather Service looks at two primary components when determining the flood stages, impact of property and impact of roadways. Mm -hmm. And due to the flood mitigation efforts that we've taken over the last number of years, which includes, you know, some clearing of properties of right along the you know, the river that flood frequently, mm -hmm. as well as some of the road improvements. And then certainly most, probably most impactful has been the phase one benching that was completed on the west side of the river. Yeah. Now it, it is important to, to note because one of the thresholds or one of the criteria is damage to properties. Uh, the fact that properties were removed for example those uh, properties those homes uh, right along the river had not been removed then the uh, the state flood stage wouldn't have been adjusted so it it doesn't 
it doesn't necessarily mean that the level is any different in that respect, if you understand. What yes. Yeah. yeah. So that that is primarily correct. The only point I would make is that the National Weather Service actually wanted to increase it more. <laughs> <laughs> and we said, so, we're doing additional mitigation efforts. Let's kind of do it incrementally. So this may not be the last. Correct. Adjustment. I would expect that there will be a future adjustment following phase two benching and then the potential retention. Basin. Despite the fact that this was good news, there were some who said... 12 to 18 inches, as significant as that is, uh, seems like a very small amount for the money, uh, amount of money that has been spent to get there. What would be your response to that? You know, I would say, first of all, it's a start. And all of the funds that have been spent have been spent prudently to have this overall impact. Certainly, this is not really the primary change because it doesn't change the floodplain. Mm-hmm. However, over the next couple of years, as we you know, do the phase one benching, it's complete. As we look at the phase two benching, which I would expect to have some good good progress in that over the next couple of months and be mm-hmm. able to announce a timeline for that construction um, and then the re- potential basin down the road, all of those are what's going to long-term impact the flood basin. So the, f- the flood plain, and that's really what's going to give us that primary impact. But when, I, when, when we're not getting regular alerts that there's a flood when really nothing is being impacted, mm-hmm. not even the properties, you know, we really don't see any impact to properties until probably 14 feet at this point. Mm-hmm. And so that's substantial. And, uh, and also, it, it, that is a, a good point. It, it doesn't completely eliminate uh, the flood. I mean, you look at the, the biggest floods uh, right. of all time, you're talking 17 feet or, or so, um, that would still be a flood. I Correct. mean, Correct. Yeah. All this is doing, and, and you know, again, it's, it's an indicator of the progress we're making. Mm-hmm. And we chose to go ahead and make it because we are not seeing the significant impact of flood events within our community. Right. And, you know, I'm sure everybody else is like me. I don't want to get an alert that there's a flood frequently when that's really not happening anymore. Yeah. And, and the uh, goal all along was not to completely eliminate uh, flooding that would be incredibly impl- impractical. <laughs> was to was to eliminate the minor uh, flooding that seemed to come uh, quite often. Well, I think the overall goal of our flood mitigation efforts is to decrease the impact to property and citizens. Mm-hmm. That's that's our ultimate goal. And so when we're talking about the flood mitigate mitigation efforts in Finley, and really everything we do here has a broader regional impact. But we're focusing on what is that flood level in downtown because that's the most significant. That's the area where the water is coming in too quickly from the Blanchard River and Eagle Creek. They're spiking at the same time, and then the river is unable to handle it. And so what we're trying to do is level out those peaks and kind of hold some of the water back to then slowly allow it to hit the area. And that's what the benches do as well. Right. And so it's really just to kind of to decrease that. Um, focused on that downtown area, decreasing that overall flood level. I mean, we have seen some decrease in the overall flood water levels during flood events from the phase one benching. Not unlike the uh, mitigation efforts in the uh, 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 coronavirus. Uh, uh, <laughs> right, we're trying spread. to flatten the curve. Trying to flatten the curve <laughs> uh, a little bit. Kind of the same same concept here. You mentioned that this does not uh, change the. Um, the uh, floodplain flood map. Correct. Uh, that may be forthcoming because that was the other question. Does this mean right. that this is a strictly a National Weather Service right. thing? This doesn't mean that uh, some property has been taken out of the floodplain or anything. And there is a bit of a danger 
uh, in that even if that uh, map does get adjusted uh, in the future, people dropping flood insurance and, and so on and, and so forth. Right. Again, right. any any changes to the floodplain have to be significantly studied and then appropriately adjusted and mm-hmm. they have to go through FEMA and the National Weather Service. Right. That is something that we we want to do as soon as possible. But given the flood mitigation efforts that are underway, uh, it will probably be another year or so before we even start that process. And then that takes an additional six months to complete because we have to go out and do a lot of different surveying. We have estimates based off of the projects. We get Mm -hmm. those types of maps, but you have to go through some additional um, process. So uh, the most optimistic timeline for that would be another couple of years. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, Before before we see that. But again, people... Uh, even if their property is taken out of the quote-unquote floodplain, probably want to think twice about uh, dropping flood insurance, given the realities of. I would what say, we know you know, yeah, you always have to, to you know, be cautious. Yeah. But I would say any changes are going to be pretty definitive, and um, you know, we're, we're not going to take that decision lightly. And again, there's a significant process that has to go through that for for any change so to be don't approved. Don't rush out and, and make any changes to your insurance. Right. Yeah, that but is, that's a significant that's, community impact, and we recognize that that right. is costly for citizens, and I want to get that adjusted as soon as possible. So uh, stay tuned as far as that goes. But good news, and uh, that may not be the last of the good news with the, exactly. with respect to the, uh, <laughs> the flood uh, issue. Um, also want to bring up uh, just uh, here the other day, last night. Last uh, night, you yeah. had a uh, an open forum. It was a virtual uh, e- event uh, discussing the uh, discussion about establishing a downtown Dora, which is a designated outdoor refreshment area where people can uh, drink uh, uh, or carry uh, alcohol from one establishment to another and, and so on and so forth. Your impressions of that uh, event? You know, I thought it went very well. You never know what to expect with a public meeting, and mm-hmm. especially in the virtual ones. You know, I was I was hacked at a meeting a couple months ago, and so now I'm super paranoid <laughs> that we're going to be hacked again. Um, you know, my screen's going to change colors and all sorts of weird stuff. But it went very well, and I thought that overall, all of the questions I have received have been very reasonable and well thought out, and um, overall supportive, certainly a number of concerns that I think we've been able to address. Um, you know, folks concerned about um, encouraging public intoxication or, or different things like that. And that's certainly not what we're trying to encourage. We're trying to create a relaxed environment for folks to enjoy their drinks and support our businesses in the downtown area, uh, restaurants and bars, as well as, you know, shops, et This has been done in other communities, and uh, the experience in other communities doesn't uh, bear out uh, any uh, increased uh, law enforcement issues. Correct, correct. So that was obviously my primary concern. So I talked to a number of communities that have had this in place for, for a while, and then some that have just had it recently. They have all said that they have not had any you know, increase in crime or need for police services within mm-hmm. the DORA. Um, and so that's great. And really watching it you know, across the community, they haven't seen any increase in DUIs or anything like that. So this, uh, this meeting, and, and City Council has been discussing this, uh, it has been brought up at, at Council. It hasn't been voted on Correct. yet. Um, but the forum last night, uh, the, the, the big question, was this a, an effort to gauge the community's uh, willingness to uh, or, or desire to establish one of these or to convince the public of 
a decision that's already been made? I would say both. You know, it's really it's about hearing what are the concerns, making sure that we have thought through all of the different aspects of establishing this before we move forward, but also making sure that the community is well informed about our thought process in developing this. This is not something that we take lightly. It's something that's been discussed a number of times prior to this. Um, and, you know, it's something that a num- our restaurants have wanted to see for years, and we just haven't moved it forward for whatever reason. Um, and really, given, you know, the coronavirus, that was kind of the last, you know, uh, nail in the coffin to say, let's, let's make this happen. And so that's really why we've brought it forward at this point. Again, we will uh, continue to watch that as uh, the uh, discussion continues and uh, Council uh, takes this issue up. Finley Mayor Christina Mern with us uh, this morning. Thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Well, of course, part of the COVID-related response at the federal level has included a forbearance on student loans. Certainly some welcome relief for those struggling to keep afloat financially due to the pandemic, but it is only a temporary band-aid on a much larger problem that was a reality long before and will be still long after all of this is over. A four-year college education now costs more than $100,000 in many parts of the country, crippling graduates financially before they even get their adult lives started. New York Times money columnist Ron Lieber promises an entirely new roadmap for the biggest financial decision your family will ever make in his new book, The Price You Pay for College. Ron, the the first question that many would-be students are asking themselves now is, is a degree worth it? So let's start there because the the direction that you ultimately go depends on how you answer that question. So is a degree really worth it anymore? Well, the fundamental economics and and the data behind them haven't really changed. On average, there's about a million dollar gap in lifetime earnings between people who get a college degree, people who go and actually finish, right? Those are two different things. Not everybody finishes. There's a million dollar gap between those who finish and those who don't go. And the people who are getting the degrees, they are not earning more faster, but the people who do not are falling behind more quickly as time goes on. And we're seeing this during the pandemic. It's people without college degrees who are suffering disproportionately in terms of job loss and income loss. Now, that is not true for people who enter trades. Um, Managed to get themselves uh, into apprentice programs and into you know higher than average um, you know blue collar positions. So mm-hmm. I, you know I'm not here to tell people that everybody should go to college, but the facts are the facts. And if lifetime income is important to you, you stand a much better chance of earning a lot of it if you go to college. Now, it's not like, as we mentioned, this is not like this is a problem that no one knows about. I mean, there have been ideas for attacking this uh, from on the left. They talk about uh, making college tuition free. On the right, they talk about promoting alternatives in the skilled trades. Universities themselves have partnered with community colleges on two-year transfer plans to keep costs in check. There are 529 plans. There are tr- tuition prepayment plans. What is your plan? Well, so here's the problem with plans, Chris. You know, plans assume that every person and every family is on a, you know, predictable, linear, upward slanted slope in the 20 years of life, you know, between when they start thinking about having a kid to when their kid is ready to consider college. 
But the problem is, is that, you know, nobody's life is like that, right? And when you have your kid, there's a chance, um, you know, more often than not, that you still got student loan debt of your own. And maybe you haven't finished putting together the down payment for the house in the housing market that's going up, you know, faster than the rate of inflation. And he's got a higher than average, uh, you know, out-of-pocket health care cost. And you're entirely responsible for your own retirement. So, you know, things are different than they were a generation ago. Um, you know, the state legislature in Columbus doesn't subsidize the state universities the way uh, that it used to. And so um, I'm all for having a plan, but I don't want people to feel badly if they don't have one. You know, the best plan that I've heard comes from a financial planner at Wisconsin, and he just divides it up into chunks. He says, you know, save a quarter. Spend a quarter out of current income while your kid's in college. You borrow a quarter as a parent, and they borrow a quarter, right? So, you know, if you're trying to get to the Ohio State University, and that's going to cost you $100,000, maybe you can save $25,000 over 18 years at, you know, 100 bucks a month. And then, you know, you spend eight grand or, or you spend, uh, you know, six grand a year out of your current income while your kid's in school. Uh, and then you borrow $25,000 as a parent and they borrow 25000 from the Fed. Uh, and once you start dividing it up that way, it, it starts to seem possible, right? You know, that at least is a plan. Mm -hmm. But that is not going to be a plan for people whose lives and financial lives in particular don't exist on a straight line. So in the book, then, you, you're laying out uh, a number of different uh, possibilities or getting people to, to think differently uh, about how they actually make this possible? Yes. So first of all, I'm trying to get people to make sure they understand you know, what college is for. Right. I mean, you need to, to, to sit down and actually have a conversation with yourself as a parent if you're paying for it. Um, and also with your teenager to see what they feel about it. You know, college can be an intellectual amusement park, right? You can go there to have your mind expanded in all sorts of ways. You can go to college to find your kinship, right? To find your kin, right? The, 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 the friends and the people who will not just, you know, stand up for you at your wedding and carry your casket at your funeral, but, you know, also be your LinkedIn contacts, the people who might invest in your startup or hire you someday. Mm -hmm. And also the mentors, the grownups, um, you know, who will uh, help kind of pull you through life. Uh, and then there's the credential. And for somebody who's going to college for the first time, uh, first in their family to go, um, maybe this is an opportunity to, you know, kind of cement yourself uh, you know, on into the middle class with a, with a teaching degree, um, or, uh, or a nursing degree, or maybe you're looking to jump higher and, you know, and become a doctor, right? But you're looking for some kind of recession proof, um, uh, credential that'll get you there. Or maybe, right, you're, you know, gunning for Northwestern or you're gunning for Yale, right? The, the kind of elite institution that could open doors that your family has never walked through before. So you gotta decide what college is before you can begin to shop for it in an intelligent way. So it sounds like what you're presenting here in the book is when you talk about a roadmap, it's less of a financial roadmap and more of a big picture type of, uh, of roadmap. Yeah, I'd say it's less of an algorithm or some kind of computation or formula that mm -hmm. will spit out, you know, you should be willing to spend X to go to Oberlin, but only Y to go to Denison and, you know, Z to go to, you know, Wabash in Indiana. And it's more like um, a set of questions and a blueprint that will help your family 
figure out what it is that college means to them, what college ought to be for, um, and the right and, and most pointed questions to ask of the institutions to make sure that you are going to suck every dollar of value um, out of those four years, no matter what you decide to spend. Well, that makes a, that makes a lot of sense. If you're going to spend that money, you definitely want to get your, your money's worth. And, and so, you know, we're... Along these same lines, we're talking uh, about the deeper questions of why you want to go to college and what you want to get out of it. Do we also need to ask the same questions again as we talk about, you know, there are politicians and and so on who uh, are, are floating all of these ideas for cutting the cost of college down to size so that it is manageable for families uh, once again. Do we also have to ask the deeper questions uh, on that side as well, like, for example, why does college cost so much to begin with? Those are absolutely worthy questions. Um, and look, on the state side, you know, college costs a lot more than it used to because we don't subsidize it the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the other thing that, that's also true, you know, for public institutions and, and for, you know, the many private ones, uh, you know, in the Midwest and Ohio in particular that really slug it out on, on pricing and discounting is that it is true that they have more people working there than they used to, particularly on the administrative side. But I would argue that that is as many of us would like it to be, right? Um, there are many people who are able to go to college and do things there that were not able to, uh, you know, a generation or two ago, right? There are um, people with mental health conditions who now have, you know, support services in place by law, Um that allow them to get to and through college in a way they might not have before. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the infrastructure that's in place to help first-generation students, uh, you know, in increasing numbers, get to and through college. Uh, I have two daughters, you know, because of Title IX, they're going to have equal access to uh, NCAA playing fields. And, you know, we want the computer network to work and we want the career office to be robust. and We want the mental health counseling center, not just to be, you know, keeping bankers hours and be open at night. And all these things cost money because trained people need to be responsible for them. And yeah. if we were to cut those human resources staff to the bone, we might not actually like the product that results. That is a good point that is not often considered, uh, so certainly uh, worthy of, of consideration. And you know, we've been we've been kind of asking this question as it relates to the way so many aspects of our lives have been impacted and upended by the pandemic, whether it will change the paradigm moving forward. What about uh, in this case? I, I mean, you know, this has, in many ways, not just because of the cost, but uh, in for many reasons, has caused caused many families to you know, reconsider uh, college and what it is all about, and so on. So, how much of this that we are experiencing now changes the paradigm moving forward with respect to higher education? Well, the thing that I found so interesting about what happened, right, is that in March, you know, everybody got sent home very quickly and, you know, shoved into Zoom rooms. And, you know, what they discovered was that uh, the education um, was no longer anything close to what it once was. And the opportunities for kinship, right, for fellowship with their um, with their peers and, and, and with professors and with administrators, you know, that was greatly compromised, too. And so it should not have been much surprise to anybody that, you know, to the extent that people were able to go back in the fall, they did, even though a whole bunch of them got sick, even though it was probably not the best idea from a public health perspective. So what does that tell us? 
that tells us that people crave the residential undergraduate experience as we have come to understand it in the United States. It is a rite of passage. Many kids in the middle class and above see it as an entitlement, you know, for better or for worse. They've been thinking about it for 14 years of schooling. And so this idea that the pandemic will somehow blow things up or that it's brought to the front, you know, the possibility of other ways of doing things, um, people haven't actually liked these other ways of doing things uh, this last nine months. And um, to me, it just only cements the fact um, that the experience of going to college is one that people actually crave and like a lot. New York Times uh, money columnist Ron Lieber, his new book is The Price You Pay for College, an entirely new roadmap for the biggest financial decision your family will ever make. We appreciate you taking the time this morning. Do you have a website where folks can learn more about the book? Yes, thank you for asking. I am at ronlieber.com, and that's L-I-E-B as in boy, E-R. And you can sign up to get occasional emails from me there, and there are all sorts of links to other interesting things. Ron, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Uh, it's my pleasure. One thing we remember from 2020 was that food prices took some wild swings last year. So will 2021 bring more stability to Americans' grocery bills? It is a tricky business trying to forecast yearly food price inflation just one month or so into the year. But that disclaimer aside, USDA contributor Gary Crawford has the latest official forecast in today's Everyday Agriculture Report. Now, we realize that we have about 11 months to go in 2021, but that is not stopping agriculture department economists from forecasting how retail food prices will behave on average for the entire year. They make a new forecast every month, and of course in 2020, COVID-19 sent grocery store food prices up an average of 3.5%, biggest increase since 2011. What's the increase expected this year? 1-2%. to Well, that's better. USDA economist Carolyn Chelius says the biggest jumps in price last year were in the meats, and that's where shoppers this year could see at least some price declines. And we have seen decreases in price for the past several months in these categories, so we're expecting to see continued decreases. Especially in beef, which shot up 9.6% last year, but Carolyn says right now she's looking for beef this year to end up from 1.5% to 2.5% lower than 2020, but still beef prices will be higher than pre-COVID levels. Meanwhile, for pork, now we saw those prices last year climbing by well over 6% because of COVID for this year. We're expecting pork to either decrease in price 0.5% or increase in price 0.5%, somewhere within that range. Uh, So could go up, could go down from last year, or just stay on average about the same as 2020. The forecast for poultry, uh, shoppers not likely to see a decline in prices for those products this year. Carolyn says they may stay the same, maybe notch upward about 1%. It's much the same forecast for dairy products, fresh fruits, fresh vegetables. However, as we said, we've got a long way to go in 2021. Remember how the food price situation changed last year when COVID hit the scene. So, when you hear Carolyn say she expects overall average grocery store food prices to go up this year by one to two percent you also hear her say there's a lot of uncertainty around that number one we've just begun 2021 number two we've still got the pandemic going and the uncertainties around that the rate of vaccination the continued rate of cases the economy and factors like unemployment wages 
consumption patterns. Plus, nobody knows how the weather will affect food production this year. Just a lot of unknowns yet. The economists, like Carolyn Chelius, are brave. They're willing to stick their necks out to make food price forecasts a year ahead. So she and I went back 17 years just to take a look at what USDA forecasters were projecting in January of each of those years compared to what actually ended up happening to food prices for that year. How close was that early year forecast? We were within 1% of the correct end-of-year value eight times. Eight out of 17, call it being close about half the time, which isn't too bad considering the hundreds of factors that go into food prices and the hundreds of unknowns. Which makes it really difficult to forecast food prices in 2021. Or in any year, at least this early in the year. For each month, though, during 2021, Carolyn will be in there making a forecast, revising it when the unknowns become knowns. Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Such an important disclaimer again there as he made uh, historically just about a 50-50 average of accurately projecting the food price inflation for the year after only the first month. So many unknowns, including the pandemic that continues and you mentioned the weather and even think about the weather, and that obviously uh, always has an impact on uh, food production. So all of these things uh, play into it. But uh, interesting stuff nonetheless uh, about the uh, food price forecast for the year ahead, especially after such a volatile year on grocery store shelves uh, last year. The one thing that it seems everyone agrees on is that the shortages of certain products like meats and and so on that we saw uh, at the height of the initial wave of the pandemic last year will not be repeated uh, moving forward, even if we get another spike. And so it does seem as though we're maybe on the downslide with a vaccine available and, and so on. But those were it was a unique set of circumstances when the pandemic initially hit. We're not likely to see a repeat of that anyway. So that is certainly good news. Today's Everyday Agriculture Report. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news. A public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. An employee of a Duncan Donuts in Brooklyn, New York, reportedly managed to scare off a robber who is carrying a knife by coming at the guy with an even bigger knife. (laughs) Uh, It happened Saturday morning. The would-be robber walked into the Duncan location and asked for free coffee before whipping out a knife and demanding all the cash inside the register. The employee, who asked to remain anonymous, said his co-worker called police as he ran into the kitchen and came back with a bigger knife. (laughs) Police say surveillance footage shows the suspect fleeing from the establishment and taking off in a Nissan Pathfinder. Um, They are on the lookout. The uh, surveillance footage has not been released publicly, but... That's a, remember the old uh, scene, uh, the old uh, Crocodile Dundee uh, movie. That's not a knife. This is a knife. <laughs> Good for him, though. Like that. Uh, couple from Kingsville, Ontario, Canada. Uh, so this is another uh, case of people uh, just being bored out of their minds because of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh This couple suffering from a case of cabin fever amid the COVID-19 pandemic 
were slapped with an $880 fine for ignoring a stay-at-home order after they were caught playing Pokemon Go. <laughs> this, this is according to the C, uh, CBC, reporting the uh, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Uh, Matthew Steves and his wife had pulled into an empty church parking lot to capture some virtual pocket monsters when an Ontario Provincial Police cruiser drove up behind them. The officer then deemed the trip non-essential and fined them. Uh, Ms. Steves said, quote, I was in shock and my mind was blown. I was very angry. I couldn't believe I was b- being given a $750 ticket for just sitting in my van. I don't understand how being inside your vehicle is contributing to the spread of COVID. Uh, the ticket adds up to $880 when tax is included. They tax, they tax the tickets in Canada? That's, it's not just the uh, cost of the ticket. You've got to pay tax on it. That's adding insult to injury. Anyway, uh, Mr. Steve says his family has been closely following uh, COVID-19 regulations, including refraining from visiting family or friends for months. However, they didn't realize that going for a drive could land them a fine. He and his wife picked up the mobile game Pokemon Go along with his two teenage kids around Christmas. The game allows players to walk or drive around in search of digital monsters that appear when someone holds up their smartphone, virtual reality, and all of that. I uh, got fined for playing Pokemon Go. At least they weren't hauled off to jail. I mean, try to explain that to your cellmates. What are you in for? I was playing Pokemon Go. Violation of quarantine orders. Um, speaking of uh, quarantine, a man in St. Louis, Missouri, is charged with faking a doctor's note that said he had to quarantine for two weeks because of exposure to the virus. Uh, the... Uh, Report alleges that uh, Ronald Vaughn, age 34, uh, reported that he had to quarantine and provided a doctor's note, but investigators say neither the doctor nor his staff uh, actually provided the note. It was forged. The uh, note appeared to have been altered from a legitimate note. It is not known what possible punishment Mr. Vaughn could face. Actually, it's not Mr. Vaughn. It's Officer Vaughn is a police officer in St. Louis. (laughs) Was charged with faking a doctor's note to get some time off of work. A police officer. It, this thing is impacting everyone. That's you know the moral of that story. Uh, let's see here. Sometimes you don't have to go very far to find the broken news. In Akron, a uh, man is under arrest after police say he attempted to steal exactly three tacos from the local Taco Bell restaurant. Akron police called to local Taco Bell Friday night. A worker said the suspect attempted to rob the eatery. The suspect allegedly told workers he wanted the tacos and uh, he showed him a, a handgun claiming he'd shoot them if they didn't give him three tacos. That's all he stole. Police arrested the man, but did not find the gun. So I guess he just told them he had a gun and we would shoot them. He didn't actually show the gun. They didn't find it. So. But still, he's in trouble. <laughs> three yeah, hardly hardly seems worth it does it I... another story from the international file a british royal navy officer is said to be under investigation for making an adult video inside of a nuclear base <laughs> report in the sun says lieutenant claire jenkins runs uh, an account which contains explicit material shot inside of the Faslane Nuclear Submarine HQ at Her Majesty's Naval Base Clyde in Scotland. Reports indicate uh, Lieutenant Jenkins confessed 
to uh, filming the clips, many of which involve her lover, who is a uh, uh, who is in the Navy as well. Uh, the uh, son says that some officials are worried about how the activity may leave uh, Lieutenant Jenkins open to blackmail or being compromised. But I don't know. I mean, she's putting it out there for everybody to see. I don't know, you know, that she would be embarrassed uh, if that stuff went public because it's already out there. Anyway, the uh, officer and uh, uh, part-time adult actress has led a, a team of sailors on a hunter-killer submarine, has been responsible for insertion of several uh, special forces teams at sea. But I'm guessing she's going to be reassigned. I'm just thinking. And finally, in the broken news this morning, this is big news. Jamaica is running low on marijuana. Tristan Thompson is the chief opportunity explorer for Takaya, a consulting and brokerage firm for the country's emerging legal cannabis industry. Legal cannabis industry. He calls the shortage a cultural embarrassment for the nation of Jamaica. The issue has been caused by heavy rains, followed by an extended drought, an increase in local consumption with the legalization of the weed, and a drop in the number of marijuana farmers. Because presumably it's not as profitable as it once was. In 2015, the country authorized a regulated medical marijuana industry and decriminalized small amounts of weed. Those caught with uh, two ounces or less are supposed to pay a small fine and face no arrest or criminal record. In addition, Rastafarians are legally allowed to smoke uh, marijuana for sacrament, uh, sacramental purposes. So, but it's, all of this has caused a shortage. <laughs> <laughs> they say it is a national embarrassment that <laughs> they're running low on marijuana in Jamaica. It's a natural embarrassment, man. There you go. That, I just love that terminology. It is a national embarrassment. That is uh, today's Broken News Report. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. The Broken News this morning is service of Hancock County Veteran Services. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile app for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. So the countdown to Valentine's Day is on, and who better to help us set the stage and impress that someone special than a former contestant on The Bachelor and The Bachelorette? Our good friend Bob Guinea is with us once again for the DailyLounge.com with some great ways to recapture the romance at home because bob obviously a lot of folks will be doing the at home valentine's day thing this year that's right that's right hey chris thanks so much for having me and you're absolutely right you know it is definitely uh not probably as many grand gestures of going out to a big romantic dinner and movie type uh situation as we've had in years past so we gotta you know roll with what we've got right now and i, <laughs> I think you know when you're thinking about the way to approach your valentine's day this year i think you go with some other staples you know some of the things that you know, really let people know you're thinking about them. I love this. I love giving some flowers. I love doing a beautiful bouquet from Teleflora's Valentine's Day lineup. And so whether you're celebrating with significant other or, you know, a lot of ladies today get together and do the virtual Galentine's Day, a Teleflora Valentine's bouquet is a perfect gift. They've got a ton of designs to choose from. 
playfully pink, moonstruck mercury, which feature a festive mix of the pink and red flowers and the soft green accents. But the thing I really truly love about what Teleflora does is Teleflora, uh, you know, huge national company, but they use local florists. So you will have your bouquets handmade and delivered to your doorstep by a local florist in a keepsake container. So you're still able to, to get what you want, but you're keeping it local. Great way to celebrate on Valentine's Day and, and, you know, feel like you're still giving back to the community you live in. So I love that idea. And, uh, you know, flowers are definitely a very nice way to say I love you and I care about you. And, uh, you know, they make the house smell good and look good, too. So you nothing can, wrong with that. You can never go wrong with a classic. Uh, flowers uh, should be right at the top of the list. And then you've got a couple of other great ideas here. I sure do. Yeah, you know, I, I think here's an entertaining tip. I was a bartender in college. I know how to make a couple things here and there. But most of us are not mixologists. And so the best way to really impress someone is to make them a delicious cocktail that's easy to make. So all you got to do right now with the Smirnoff Zero Sugar Infusions is you add soda water. That's it. You get a bottle. It's a You add soda water. There's a new Smirnoff Zero Sugar Infusions Lemon and Elderflower. It is amazing. It's citrus flavor. Subtle notes of elderflower make it the perfect romantic dinner compliment. And best of all, zero sugar means you can have your cake and eat it too. Now, the seltzer fans out there, we've got the Smirnoff Seltzer Core Variety Pack as well that has delicious flavors like lemon-lime, black cherry, orange, and berry lemonade. Each flavor here, again, zero sugar and only 90 calories, which I love. Now, if you're doing the sweets, I got the new sweets for you. This is going to be something else. We've got flowers. We've got cocktails. Bring on the Frutella Soft Gummies. They're new to the United States from Italy, where they have been delighting European families for over 90 years. Fratella combines the best of both worlds. It's soft, tasty, sweet indulgence, but it's made with real fruit puree. So it's perfect for kids and adults. If you look on the label, it's the very first ingredient, real fruit puree. They come in two delicious flavors, strawberry and raspberry and peach and mango. And they got little fruit character shapes, which are a lot of fun too. And easy to find. You can find them on Amazon or at select Walmart stores as well so we've got the flowers we got the candy we got the drinks you got everything what else do you think we need chris you, what, what's you, one more thing we can i love I, I love this because uh you've got all of your uh basic bases covered you've got the flowers the candy the uh, uh cocktails and it's set the mood and uh again i love this because traditional date night would maybe uh include a movie maybe you're not going out to the movies anymore but you can bring the movie home yep that's right exactly you can bring the movie home and it can be a big screen experience still. You know, you're not, you don't have to worry about gathering around the small screen. You can actually still have a big screen experience with Nebula's Cosmos Max projector. This is amazing. Turns your home into a home theater up to 150 inches of, of a screen on a, on a screen or a wall, 4K viewing, built in speakers. So they offer an immersive experience. And unlike some of the more traditional boring projectors out there, the Cosmos Max has this really cool, unique oval shape. But it also has a starlight finish, so when you turn it on, it's blasting a starlight finish across your ceiling, which is really cool. So if you're not in somewhere, you know, you're not hmm. somewhere where it's warm, you know, you're in the Midwest like us, well, then you have a great opportunity to still have a movie under the stars, <laughs> and you just have the stars uh, blowing up on your ceiling there. So it's a really beautiful way to watch a film. I love that. Uh, so again, great way to uh, set the mood. Have a great date night uh, right there at home with someone special for Valentine's Day. Again, uh, Bob Guinea with us this morning with some great uh, ideas for the uh, most romantic day of the year. And where do we get more information, Bob? It's really easy. All you can do is go to dailylounge.com and you can find out all the information we talked about today. We'll get a link up on our webpage as always. Bob Guinea, thanks very much for taking the time. Happy Valentine's Day. 
Thank you, sir. Same to you. And that will put a wraps on our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, goodmornings.net. We are always on 24-7 on the World Wide Web. You can also connect with us on social media. Shoot us an email if there's a, a question or something you want to share. Uh, you can do that and, uh, of course, sign up for our daily email newsletter there at the webpage as well. Again, goodmornings.net. Bookmark it and check back every day. There's always something new. Until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.